When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to this week's Heat Check Podcast. Um, my name is Anthony Chang, if you don't know by now, I'll cover the Heat for the Miami Heralds. And I have my colleague here with me, uh, The Buzz, Barry Jackson. Barry, how are you? Anthony, good to be with you. Yes, it's, this is becoming a more frequent occurrence now. David <laughs> yes, we have David Wilson uh, on hockey. Yes, David well, I've been busy. summoned from the bullpen repeatedly, but always a pleasure. <laughs> David is busy covering his own historic playoff run with the Panthers, right? Um, crazy times in South Florida. Um, the Heat still in control of this Eastern Conference final series, up 3-1. Um, they were up 3-0. Had a chance to clinch and, and punch a ticket to the NBA Finals in Game 4. They lost by was it 17 points at home in Game 4, giving Boston some momentum. Um, the Celtics finally looked like the Celtics, made a bunch of threes, um, played really good defense, and, and really slowed the Heat's offense. Barry. How concerned are you from what you saw in game four? I'm slightly concerned just because we know that Boston has the ability where if they play at their best, the Heat essentially has to play nearly a perfect game to win just because of Boston's surplus of offensive talent and how gifted Tatum and Brown are. I would still make the Heat the favorite in the series, of course, but there would be worry if they were to lose game five because we've seen Boston win in Miami now four times over the last 13 months of Eastern Conference Finals games, uh, three times last year of the four games played at what's now the Kaseya Center, and obviously splitting uh, the two games in Miami this past weekend. So Boston's ability to win in Miami would give me great concern if the Celtics win tomorrow. But of course, on the, on the other hand, the Heat has now won four games in Boston over the last two Eastern Conference Finals. Sure. <laughs> so I would expect tomorrow... Uh, both teams to play well, a highly competitive game. But if the Celtics should win tomorrow, I would be uh, seriously concerned from a Heat standpoint. Not saying the Heat could not win the series, but there would be great concern. Uh, Would you share that if they lose tomorrow, or would you still feel confident the Heat would pull it out? I I think my concern would grow up a little bit, but I don't think I'd really, really be concerned until they lost Game 6. Because I I I still think Game 6 is probably the most likely, like, ending of this series I, I it's hard for me to see the heat winning three straight games in boston right which or really if you go back to the last playoffs four straight games or yeah four straight games in boston if you go back to game six of the last east finals um I mean, boston's a really good team right and i think the, the the reason i'm a little worried and i know this has been out there already everybody knows this by now but no team has ever come back from a real deficit in a best of seven series i think it's been 150 times no team has done it so it'd be unprecedented but the reason I'm a little concerned in this case is that game four wasn't an aberration for Boston. That's who they are. That's who they've been all season, right? It wasn't like the Knicks came out and shot 45% on threes. So that's not going to happen again. 
Boston was one of the best three-point shooting teams in the NBA and at high volume. They are, they have, to, what, where were they, uh, 38 and two when shooting 40% or better from three. Exactly. And they were 40% um, last night, nine for 20 yeah. in the second half. Yes. And defensively, they really, they really kind of flattened out Miami's uh, offense with their switching, um, which we hadn't seen much of. Miami's been able to, to really do a good job at, at you know, finding open shooters. Um, and really making tough shots. They really, he made a lot of tough shots in those first two games of the series. Um, Jimmy one-on-one hitting baseline jumpers over a defender or two. Like, those are tough shots that he'd have been hitting, and those didn't go in um, in game four. So I think the Heat will win the series because all it takes is one big Jimmy Butler game, right, at this point. That's the cushion the Heat have given them themselves. They're up, you know, they have three more chances to close it out or another really good three-point shooting game is all they need. Um, but if Boston wins game five at home, the, all the, pre- like not all the pressure, but a lot of pressure now is on the heat. Um, because no question. you can't, you can't give Boston three straight wins going into game seven in Boston. Um, that would be a nightmare for the heat. And you figure at some point, Jalen Brown is going to get going. He's three for 25 yeah. on threes in the series. So that would concern me. The only other concern that I would have, besides obviously the variable of the Celtics three-point shooting, which can be exceptional, as you said, half of the time, my other concern would be turnovers by both teams. I think almost as important as the three-point shooting last night was the fact that Boston committed only two second-half turnovers yeah. after committing 53 in the first three and a half games. I mean, there had been a flood of Boston turnovers, which was such a critical key to the Heat, winning the first three games, leading at halftime of game four. And most of those turnovers was created by the Heat's defense. It wasn't carelessness necessarily by Boston. For the vast majority, it was sending a second defender at Tatum and forcing him into turnovers, whether it was Struess or Butler or someone else creating steals. So the Heat's ability to do that, to me, was as important as anything in the win, in the wins in the first three games and the first half last night. So for Boston to have only two second half turnovers last night, uncharacteristic for them, if they can take care of the ball, then that would be a big concern for the Heat moving forward. And on the flip side, also nine Heat turnovers yeah. in the second half last night, which is uncharacteristic for them because throughout this playoff run, they've consistently taken care of the ball, right? Yeah. Sure, for sure. Boston scored 27 points on those 16 turnovers. That was a huge uh, point of the game. And as Eric Spolcher said after, it allowed Boston to speed the game up, which is what Boston wants to do, right? They don't want to face the Heat's half-court defense if they don't if they don't need to. Um, and they got a lot of open, you know, semi-transition threes, semi-transition layups and dunks. Um, and it really got Boston's offense going. So, yeah, if, I mean, the Heat really have to get back to 10 to 12 turnovers, you know, if they want to have a chance to close this series out. They can't be committing 16 turnovers against a really good Boston team. Um, one thing I also noticed, I was kind of rewatching a little bit of the game on the flight in the flight to Boston. It, it seems like, I don't want to say they figured out the Heat's defense because that's kind of going far, but it seems like the Heat were overhelping a little bit, which they've been doing a lot in this series, right? Like kind of sending two to three defenders in the paint um, to, to really make life tough on Tatum and Brown. And, and that's how they force a lot of turnovers, like you said. But the difference is Boston really did a good job of passing you know, finding an open guy. The ball movement was really, really good, which you have to trust the pass against the Heat's defense with the way they play. And Boston did that. Their assist percentage was the highest of the series. Um, so it seemed like they found something, right, with, where the ball movement wasn't as good in the first three games. Guys are trying to ISO a little bit more. 
uh, in game four was getting to the paint, driving kick, and, you know, guys were hitting shots. And, and you know, uh, if you look at the numbers, break it down between the man and the Heat's man and zone defense, Heat's man defense has not really been good in this series, even in the wins. The zone defense has really been a lot more effective in the limited time it's been used. Uh, but if I'm going to circle another concern I have is the Heat's man has not really slowed the Celtics at all um, so far through the first four games. So um, that's a little bit concerning because it's four games in and, and they really haven't found an answer with Celtics uh, Celtics offense. And Tatum had more success against his zone last yeah. night, uh, which was noticeable. Uh, but we knew that Boston probably would be able to get into the paint just because of the creativity of their players offensively. Tatum, Brown, obviously Smart's ability to penetrate. One thing that surprised me has been the Heat's ability to get past Celtics defenders and into the paint during the first three wins in the series in the first half last night. There was less of that last night. Miami became more turnover prone, obviously, yeah. in the second half, and they weren't getting in the paint as much. But it's interesting how candid Jalen Brown has been about the Heat's defense. He's made four or five references to Miami trying to protect its, quote, lesser defenders and trying to cover for people and he said last night that the heat's defense is not normal this is different from what they typically see which is funny in the sense that the celtics have seen the heat so much over the last three years i wonder why this is at all a surprise to them but obviously it's taken them time to figure out the zone as you said they've handled the man defense pretty well they've just missed a lot of open shots until the second half last night right yeah the zone i think this air exposure's ability to mix in the zone has really kind of thrown Boston off at times, especially in the fourth quarter of game two. Um, he uses on a lot late in that one. Boston really couldn't figure it out in time. Uh, and, and he rallied for the win in that one. Boston was, like you said, better against the zone in game four, um, which again is a good, good sign for them, right? Because that's been part of the Heat's uh, winning formula so far in, in, in this series. So um yeah, I, I think there are some concerning trends for the Heat. The good thing for the Heat is they're up 3-1, right? Like they have that advantage where they have a little bit of a margin for error, even though we say if the Heat lose, lose game five, we're going to be concerned, but they do have a margin for error. Boston does not. Boston has one bad shooting game. It's over, right? Um, all it right. takes is one. But, you know, this isn't a typical, I would say, you know, I think last time we did a podcast together, Barry, it was against it was the Knicks series. The Knicks won game five and he were coming home three two. I think both of you were both you and I were still very confident that he would win that series. And they did in six. This feels different. Boston is a very good team. Um and they've been playing well below um their standard really that they've set all year in the first three games. They're missing open shots, missing rotations. This did not look like the Celtics. Um, like I said, they finally look like the Celtics in game four. And, you know, there's a reason they're favored by eight points in game in game five. And if they win game five, they'll probably be favored against the Heat in game six. They might be favored for every game, remaining game in this series. Um, so this has a different feel than than other series where maybe a team is up 3-1 and you're like, okay, it's, it's only a matter of time. Boston is a really good team, and most people would say I think they're probably more talented than the Heat. And if there's one thing Boston can feel good about, it's that they've gotten performances well below what they typically get from three players. Jalen Brown, Malcolm Brogdon, who is sixth man of the year, and Al Horford, who has fit in very well with Boston, has hit threes for them all year, but has struggled from distance in the playoffs. 
So if those three players or even two of the three get back to giving Boston what they typically do, then that would be problematic for the Heat if the Heat is not on top of its game. Uh, because Brogdon has just been, uh, his, his shot has been off in the series, which hasn't been the case all year. At one point in early January, Brogdon was shooting over 42% on threes, and he's yeah. just uh, struggled throughout the series. Brown, whether it's health, whether it's something else, has just not been effective. So if they get back to what they normally are, that puts such immense pressure on the Heat to get great games, not only from Jimmy and Bam, but also at least two members of the supporting cast. Uh, so that would worry me uh, as well. I'll tell you what else worries me a little bit. Uh, Gabe Vincent's ankle. Vincent obviously has been such a key in this series. He's listed as questionable for Thursday with a sprained ankle. Uh, I know he's going to try to play if he can. He's doing everything he can with treatment to try to be ready. But ankles, as we know, Anthony, so precarious. You just don't know if you'll re-aggravate it early in the game. You don't know how much mobility or yeah, effectiveness you'll have. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And this is where the loss of Hero and Oladipo hurts even more. Because now you're down really to only one point guard in Kyle. Now, obviously, Jimmy and Bam can be pseudo point guards. They can get teams into offense. Caleb can as well. We've seen him with the ball in his hands, creating some. So they wouldn't be in a absolutely awful situation if Gabe can't play, but obviously they will miss Gabe because he's proven throughout these playoffs that he is a good NBA starting point guard. And so you just hope from a heat standpoint that he's healthy enough to be effective. Yes. And you take Lowry off that bench mix and yeah, it, it all of a sudden you're playing probably eight guys instead of nine, right? Because I would I would expect if Gabe can't play, Kyle will obviously probably start in his place. And I don't think Eric Spolcher would extend the rotation to maybe a Haywood Highsmith at nine. He'd probably just keep it at Duncan, Cody, and Caleb off the bench. And you go with that. But then minutes go up. Kyle has not really been shooting well in this series. He looks a little bit banged up himself. Um, so that is, you know, concern and, and look, Gabe has been really good in the playoffs. He's been the Heat's third leading scorer. Um, he's really helped, you know, he's run the offense for the most part when he's in there taking that pressure off of Jimmy and Bam, he's been able to handle some of the, you know, ball handling duties and not just play off the ball. Gabe has been really, really important, especially with Tyler out, pull up the pull up shooting, his aggressiveness. They need that, um, to kind of fill some of the void that Tyler leaves behind. So, yeah, if he has to miss a game or uh, multiple games, like that's going to be a big loss for the Heat. That's going to be tough to overcome, again, against a really good Boston team. Um, it's on doom and gloom. But, again, I think we both expect the Heat to close it out, right? But um, I just don't think I feel as good as I usually would for a 3-1 lead. I'll say that. Right, it, just know, because of Boston's talent, yeah. because to an extent of Vincent's health. Tell me what you think about what we've seen offensively in terms of volume of opportunities and shots for Bam these last two games. 12 shots over the last two games. Last night, uh, four for seven from the field, took only one shot in 17 second half minutes. Heck, he had only two rebounds and three turnovers in 17 second half minutes last night. Does the Heat have to make more of a conscious effort to get him the ball, do you think, or is this not a big deal? I think it's a little bit of both, as Eric Spolscher would say. <laughs> um, I, I I think the last few games, you saw the first two games of the series where he had really big performances in Boston. They were letting him operate one-on-one, -on -one, 
and he took advantage of those opportunities. Last two games, they've really tried to load up the paint a little bit more on his catches when he gets into the paint. And he it's it's forcing him to pass it out. And it worked in game three because the Heat shot, what, 50% from three-point range, right? So those, you know, they didn't need a big performance from 13 points and five shots was enough because everyone else was hitting the open shots that him and Jimmy were creating. Um, but last night, you know, 10 points on seven shots, zero assists, which I think is a big one. Like if, he, if he's scoring 10 points, you, you would hope that he has at least like five or six assists. Some of that is guys missing shots that he did not shoot well in game four. Um, but I do think they have to find a happy balance. Yes, maybe Bam can't take 17 shots like he did in game two because of the way the Celtics have kind of adjusted to him at this point. But he needs to take more than seven shots. And how many free throws did he take? Four. That has yes. that has to be higher. And um, and if again, if Boston's gonna play him that way and he's not gonna be able to score 30 points or 25 points, guys are gonna have to hit threes. It's kind of like really simplistic, but the team that shot better from three has won the first four ga- first four games of this series. That's kind of what this matchup is probably going to come down to with the way these two teams are playing and with how much Boston depends uh, on the three ball. Um, right. I, that, to me, is the really big indicator of, of who's going to win each game. Yeah, eight for 32 on threes for the Heat last night. They've been able to survive bad three-point shooting in yeah. a couple of the games in these playoffs, but they're not going to be able to do that against Boston if the Celtics play 40%. anything close yeah. to what they typically are. Uh, we, we've talked, obviously, about concerning scenarios for the Heat. Let me give you a, a couple for the Celtics that should concern them. One is the inability of Tatum, as great as he is, to string together four really good games with low turnovers, great shooting against very good teams. And obviously that's the case for Jalen Brown, as great as he is. And also the fact the Celtics have lost more home playoff games over the last two years than anybody. Now, part of that obviously is a byproduct of them getting far, but also Mm -hmm. they've been below 500 at home during these two playoff runs, which is pretty staggering. And obviously they could have two more home games. So to me, that should give the Heat some hope because they've proven, as we said, that they can win in Boston where the Celtics have been subpar. And also, you are always going to get clunkers occasionally from the Celtics despite their talent. The question is, will there be another one over the course of what could be three more games? So I think those two things work to the Heat's favor. Yeah, I I agree. I I think we've seen the Celtics team for lack of a better word, fold at times during these games, right? Game three was the perfect example. Um, they really just, once the Heat made that big run, they didn't fight back. It was over, like, in the third quarter. Um, game one and game two, the Heat were relentless, didn't, you know, really played a full 48 minutes, and Boston did it, and that was the difference. Um, and, yes, the Heat have proven they can win in Boston. That That's clear. And Jimmy Butler is good enough to will them to win in Boston if he, you know, has one of his big performances. Um, see, so yeah, I think it's I think it's possible they could win in Boston. I just the the when I want like when I look at the odds and the statistician in me is like three straight wins in Boston. It just doesn't seem likely, right? Like, what's what are the odds? They've already won the first two in Boston to win a third straight. If Gabe's hobbled or out, it's going to be tough. Um, but yeah, I mean, the Heat have proven they can. I mean, they did it in Milwaukee, right? I don't think anybody expected them to close it out in Milwaukee in Game Five, um, and they did that. Um, so it, it's certainly possible. Um, but if I had to predict of how this series is going to end, I would say Heat in six. That's my prediction. And it's funny because like we're getting there, to, we're getting there a little differently, I think, than we many expected, right? Because I think some people predicted Heat in six, Heat in seven. Um, 
them up, them going up 3-0 kind of makes game six scary because that means Boston has one two straight and then the pressure's on the heat. But at the end of the day, they're going to have a, you know, even, even if they lose game five, they're going to have a very good opportunity to close it out at home. Um, the chance with, with a chance to punch your ticket to the NBA finals, which is crazy. I don't think neither of us would have predicted that uh, a couple of weeks ago. What about the whole dynamic of whether to double the two stars? And I'm omitting Jalen Brown is yeah. obviously a star, but speaking specifically of Tatum and Butler, we saw Joe Missoula reluctant to double Butler in the first two games. We saw a little bit of it in game three, more of it last night yeah. was effective at times. Jimmy missed seven shots in a row at one point last night, not always with a second defender coming. And then Spolster's decision to send a second defender at Tatum, especially especially when he initiated offense in games one and two, was the great coaching decisions of this series because we saw how that second defender totally disrupted Tatum, especially in the fourth quarter of games one and two, uh, committed, obviously, uh, six turnovers over those two fourth quarters in one and two. Uh, with Tatum coming off a great game last night, what would you do if you're Spo with regarding doubling him? And what would you do if you're Missoula with regard to frequency of doubling Jimmy? Yeah, I think it's dangerous uh, for both sides because you're leaving shooters open. And Boston, again, is a really good three-point shooting team. I think you have to really be selective in, in your doubles with Tatum. Um, you know, where maybe it might depend if he's where he's on the court, if he's closer to the paint, if he's posting up a smaller defender if he's near the baseline where you can kind of use the sideline as an extra defender and, and kind of trap him in that corner, um, it's late in the shot clock, but I would not just double him every time you get the ball out of his hands or blitz him on every pick and roll because the, I mean, basically the Boston plays, except when Robert, except when Robert Williams is on the court, they have five shooters playing. Um, so that's, that's the difficult part. And I think that he'd have good enough on ball defenders. If Caleb is on him, if Jibby is on him, if Bam is on him, or on Jalen Brown, I think you can trust them to make things tough on them. And, and you've seen it. Like, they've been able to make things tough on Jalen and Jason. So I would I would double them, but I would be very selective in how I do it. As for Boston and, and their strategy with the Heat, um, similar, right? Like, you're, you're daring the Heat shooters to make shots, which the Knicks did, right? The Knicks did that. They've doubled Jimmy hard late in that series and he couldn't make shots and they almost got into trouble. They lost game five and then game six was really, really close uh, because the heat did not shoot well, but they, they escaped. But um, I, I would, if our boss, I'd probably double Jimmy at this point because of the way he's playing. And with Bam, I would basically just send extra defenders like on his rolls to the basket, which they've been doing those rolls to the basket that he was getting clean pocket passes on finishing easy. That's not happening anymore because Boston's really been committed to taking that away. So I think that's how I would handle that on both and on both sides. You know, one interesting thing is that there's never been a time this heat season where the rotation has been more clear cut for yeah. Miami than it is now, <laughs> where there are virtually no decisions to make. You continue starting a love and playing him nominal minutes. He played only 12 last night. Uh, because their starting lineup has been very good with it, with him in it. But he's become almost, I don't want to say to the minutes extent of Luke Babbitt, so Luke Babbitt yesterday year where he would play six yeah. minutes, yeah. but he's obviously not playing a ton because you want to get to Caleb quickly against Boston's smaller lineup. So aside from allocation of minutes for a couple guys, Spo hasn't had many decisions from a lineup standpoint in the series. But Joe Missoula has. 
couple things I wanted to talk about with regard to his decisions. One was, I think, not playing Grant Williams in game one was a mistake, even yes. though obviously Williams yeah. poked the bear with yeah. Butler in game two. He still played well offensively in yeah. game two, he's, so I think he's, he's overall been an asset. Yeah, and he was good, good last night. He blocked yeah. Butler yeah. on on one sequence during that quarter run. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. And then the other thing, from a lineup standpoint, which is interesting with Missoula, is we saw how effective Robert Williams was early in the series, even in Celtics losses in terms of not missing a shot, a defensive presence inside. Horford was struggling from the field, and yet Missoula stuck with Horford to close in the two games in Boston, and he stuck with him again last night, and last night it finally paid dividends. Uh, Horford finally got going from three-point rage, had three threes and six attempts, Boston was a plus 23 in his 25 minutes. Now, Williams, as he usually does, had a block shot. He had a couple last night and played decently in his 21 minutes. But last night, Robert Williams was a minus six. Horford was a plus 23. So either Missoula made a very good decision to allocate more minutes to Horford than Williams, or he just got lucky last night. How do you look at that decision about which center would you rather be on the floor if you're the Heat? I think I'd rather, if I'm the Heat, I'd rather have Robert Williams on the floor because I think he's a little more limited, uh, definitely offensively, right? He can't shoot from the outside. Um, he's not as good of a passer. Um, and then defensively, he's a presence at the rim, but he's not as good as maybe switching out on the perimeter as maybe Al Horford still is crazy. You know, it's crazy to say at this age, but he's still a very good defender uh, in isolation situations. Um, so I think Al Horford would be the one if I'm the that I wouldn't want to play as much and I'd rather have Robert Williams in the court. But I, I think, you know, I get why the Celtics started the series with the two bigs because it worked against Philly and, you know, why change it up, right? They had one, two straight to, to come back from a three, two deficit against the 76ers. Um, but it's pretty clear that the better lineup has been the one with Derek White instead of Robert Williams and they, them, them playing small. And that's really the lineup they've used all season. That's been their bread and butter. That's been their starting lineup. Um, that's why the three-point shooting has been so good because you're playing a five-out lineup pretty much. Um, so they're going back to their identity, and the numbers have been very good. I'm looking at it right now. They line up with Derek White, um, outscoring the Heat by 20.3 points per 100 possessions in 34 minutes. The lineup with Robert Williams instead of Derek White has been outscored by 55.2 points per 100 possessions. That's not oh, Wow, and last night skewed those numbers a lot because yes. the small lineup had a lot of success for Boston last night. But, but even in the last two games, when uh, even game two when he made the change. It was plus that, seven was in the second seven, half of game two. Yeah, the second half of game two, even in that loss. It's just it, – it's it's produced better results. I think the three-point the three point shooting all over the court gives the heat, heat issues, especially like we were just talking about when they're sending extra defenders into the paint, which the Heat do and you're leaving a guy open. And it doesn't matter who it is, they can hit a three when the lineup is on the court. Good point. There's there's something else I want to ask you. We can't form any grand conclusions yet because the series is not done. But I did have two takeaways that I feel pretty strong conviction in after watching four games. One is, again, we're reminded of what we were last year. The disparity between the Heat and Celtics just isn't obviously as big no. as people thought last year, and it's certainly not this year. Even in the worst-case scenario, even if the Celtics should make history and storm back and win four in a row, this still would have been a seven-game series. Of course, everyone uh, would stay in a dark room from a Heat standpoint uh, for months if the Heat should blow this series. But at the same time, the talent disparity, which everyone thinks is so lopsided, I don't think is nearly as lopsided 
ended as you would think. And then the other thing that I think you can make as a conclusion from this series and throughout the playoffs, tell me your thoughts on this, is that Caleb Martin is more than just a decent, pretty good bench player. There's potential, I think, with Caleb Martin to become a really, really, (laughs) really good player. And it's nice to see because Caleb is a good guy. You know how hard he works, humble, can do a lot of things well. There's been such skill development there, especially, uh, obviously, the three-point shooting, but the ability to close with either hand in the basket area to be able to finish, to me, is just such an impressive skill. Yeah, I I think I was talking to a couple people last night that have votes for the MVP of the Eastern Conference Finals, which is a thing now. Um, And some people are are wondering, like, do you think Caleb Martin deserves it? Like, I mean, he's been so good. His three-point shooting, his defense, his – finishing on the basket, which is crazy. I mean, that kind of shows you the series that Caleb Martin is having, um, you know, against the Celtics. But, yeah, he's been, to me, other than obviously Bam or Jimmy, the most impressive player. And he's really just stepped up on both ends. We knew he was already a very important uh, contributor, very good contract, right? Like, he had a good season. Um, but for him to be shooting, I think, 40-something percent on threes in the playoffs, at like four or five three-point attempts a game, like you said, the way he's finishing on the basket, the way he can guard pretty much one through four, I would say, at this point. Um, yeah, he's uh, – what a find. I don't know if the Hornets made the right choice. And, <laughs> and, and, and releasing and him. And releasing him. Wow. Right? Um, and he ended up getting him on a two-way deal. That might – I know the Heat have had a lot of great undrafted stories. You know, Duncan, Gabe, Max, I mean, Tyler Johnson, if you want to go back to that, Udonis Haslam. Caleb Martin might have the highest ceiling of the law um, because of his athleticism and now his reliable three-point shot. And he's already, you know, a very good defender. So, um, yeah, he's been very, very impressive and especially important because, you know, they've needed guys like Gabe and Caleb to step up offensively, again, to make up for some of the offense they've lost with Tyler out. And the choice ultimately to pay Caleb Martin, but yeah. to not go to the full mid-level with P.J. Tucker was a smart one. Tucker would have been more costly, but Martin clearly now in retrospect was a better pick. And that's obviously nothing at all meant to denigrate P.J. Tucker. has been a terrific and sure. unique player over his career and was quite an asset last year in the run to the Eastern Finals. But with Martin, you obviously get more ups- uh, offensive upside. Uh, you get a more aggressive offensive player. And you get a younger player, too, with an ascending game, as opposed to Tucker, who's obviously at the tail end of his career. So that was a very good decision. And remember, last year, with Martin, his agent received interest from a team at a number that was very comparable to what the Heat gave them. And that was related to the Heat. You need to make a decision on Caleb quickly. And at that point... He was motivated to go to that three-year, $20.6 million deal, which is going to end up being one of the NBA's great value contracts over the next couple of years as it is now. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's a little bit of a confusion as how that all played out. Like out there where I've seen like on Twitter and stuff saying that why did they – they could have signed both PJ and Caleb, but because of the luxury tax, it didn't work. They didn't want to pay the luxury tax. That really – I mean, that really couldn't have happened because you needed the mid-level, right, to sign Caleb Martin. And P.J. Tucker wanted the mid-level. Exactly. Um, so if you would have used the mid-level on P.J. Tucker, Caleb, you wouldn't have been able to keep Caleb at the number he's at right now. He would have taken more money probably elsewhere. And, you know, you kind of have to choose between the two. Once P.J. demanded the mid-level, it was a choice that the Heat had to make between Caleb and P.J. It wasn't necessarily about the luxury tax. I'm sure that was part of the conversation, right? Um, but 
even if they wanted, even if they had no issue going to the tax, they couldn't do both uh, once PJ uh, asked for the mid-level. Agree. So who's a player that's going to surprise us with either team these next couple of games? I have my eye as a variable, hopefully from a Heat standpoint, this doesn't happen, on Marcus Smart, who's obviously had a very interesting career, uh, a great defender at his best. He's a starter that anyone would want, but he also goes through shooting slumps. Uh, last night, 0 for 4, first half, 11 points in the third quarter, helping ignite that run. So at his, at his best, he's very disruptive, obviously defensively, and he can be an asset offensively. So I'm a little skittish. We talked, obviously, about if Brown and Brogdon play to their means, then that's going to be troublesome for the Heat. I'm also a little skittish about Marcus Smart because he's such an X factor for them. From a Heat standpoint, I think if they get another good game from Duncan, a really good game, yeah. I'm talking six for nine from threes, that greatly enhances their chances of escaping with one of these wins. So those are the two players on my mind. How about you? Uh, those are good ones. I would say Kyle Lowry now because of the Gabe Vincent injury. You know, Gabe might play, but I think Kyle's going might be relied on a little bit more. Um, because even if Gabe plays, he might not be, probably won't be 100%. So I think they need Kyle to kind of snap out of his shooting slump. He's done other things in the series, right? He's had a few uh, really good assist games. He's had, you know, he's always playing solid defense and creating turnovers with his quick hands. Um, but I think they need a really good shooting game from him um, to close this out. So I, w- I would go with Kyle Lowry. Good, good. And then uh, I guess if they win this series – we don't want to talk too much about this, <laughs> but I am curious your thoughts. Yeah. yeah, if they play Denver, what are yeah. your initial thoughts? I think it's going to be extremely tough. I think uh, Jokic. Oh, I mean, he nobody has success against defending him, but the Heat have had issues. You know, you would think Bam. Bam is arguably the best defender in the NBA, and he'll win some possessions against Jokic, but. Jokic always has big games against them for some reason. And the Heat. He just has big games against the Heat because of the way the Heat play and they collapse the defense. He always makes the right pass, right? Um, so, and the way Jamal Murray is playing and Denver's depth is pretty good, uh, good functional depth. Uh, it's going to be hard, and I'll, you know, especially playing in Denver, which is not an easy place to play. And now Denver has, like, what is it, three weeks off, it seems like? like and now the Heat might have to play until Saturday or maybe even Monday. Who knows? Um, so just a quick glance, you know, Denver obviously is, is a very good team and, and they'll create some issues for any, any team they face. Agree. I think, uh, zoom is telling us we got to get off here. Uh, but, uh, I think we covered most of everything, right, Barry? We, we did. We did. What's your prediction before we go? I would say heat and six. I'm like you. I tend to think Boston probably went smart, though I'm not certain just because of the Celtics' home problems. But I think the Heat has another really good game in them. I agree. I think heat and six. I think this ends Saturday, probably. Um, and then they'll have a couple days off before leaving to Denver, maybe Monday or Tuesday. And then the series starts Thursday. So even if they and even if they finish Saturday, they'll still have five days before the start of the finals. So that's still not a bad a bad break. It's not like you're going right into the into the finals. So yeah, it um, keeps them in it, rhythm. It some too keeps them in rhythm. And and look, even if they had to play the next day uh, in the finals, like at this point, what they've done, how far they've come, anything at this point is icing on the cake, right? Nobody expects them to be here. So it's just been really kind of just a magical run for the Panthers for the Heat. It's just been really fun to watch. Absolutely. All right. 
you could follow Barry. You're already probably following him, but at Florida at FLA Sports Buzz. Um, catch all his work at MiamiHerald.com. Follow me at, at Anthony underscore Chang. Uh, we'll have another episode next week, maybe previewing the NBA Finals. We'll see. Uh, but enjoy the games until then. Bye, everybody.